you cannot dive directly into a solution. You have to figure out what the problems are. And so understanding what problems you're trying to solve is the mechanism by which you solve problems and grow product. And if the problem you're trying to solve, for example, is um, you need to bang a nail into a piece of wood, a hammer is, is a solution. But also, I mean, you could use your iPhone, you could use a foot, uh, you could use a shoe. I mean, there's many solutions to that one problem. And so what we did is we found that there was this beautiful thing called surgical social media that existed. Almost 90% of all healthcare providers are on social media to a certain extent. But with that came a lot of problems. And these problems can be thematically categorized. Privacy, encryption, discoverability, the, the fact that you can't pull that content back out. What we learned along the way is if you do not solve explicit problems, you're doomed to fail. Are you looking for opportunities to invest in passive real estate syndications? Join our exclusive community at FastFire Capital, where we're dedicated to bringing doctors and other high-income earners priority access to the best opportunities to invest in large multifamily and other types of commercial properties. Not only that, by being part of the community, you'll get exclusive access to webinars and Q&As, where you'll be able to raise your passive investing IQ. To join our community, go to semiretiredmd.com forward slash syndication. Again, that address is semiretiredmd.com forward slash syndication. When you daydream about your future, I'll bet it doesn't include you still working into your 60s and 70s. But unless you're actively taking steps to break the cycle of trading time for money, that's the future most of us face. Ignite Your Journey will lay out a roadmap to show you how to finally break that cycle and achieve true financial freedom. And it'll show you how to do it in just three to five years rather than the 20 or so it takes for traditional investments or saving in your retirement accounts. For more information, go to semiretiredmd.com forward slash IYJ. Welcome to the Doctors Building Wealth Podcast, the place where we talk about the strategies, habits, and mindset that separate wealthy docs from those who are not. We're your hosts, Leiti and Kenji. Welcome to another episode of the Doctors Building Wealth Podcast. Today, we have the pleasure of having Mark Solomon joining us today. He is a colorectal surgeon and founder of Surgeon. Welcome, Mark. Thanks a lot, Kenji. Glad for having me. We're really excited to have you here today to kind of talk about your entrepreneurial journey. I know you're doing a lot of really big things, and I think people will really be excited to learn from your journey through the last few years. So can you tell everyone a little bit about your background and how you started Surge On? Yeah, yeah, please. Thank you so much. Yeah, so I'm a colorectal surgeon. I'm born and raised in Florida. I uh, did residency in Birmingham and uh, came back to Florida and have been here since in practice now for 13 years. And, um, you know, kind of my journey began actually as, a, as an educator. I was a program director for a minimally invasive colorectal surgery fellowship where we had five colorectal fellows in my former private practice. And uh, in that practice, I did a lot of um, robotic surgery that really at the time wasn't common. It wasn't being adopted very much. And so a lot of the problems that I ran into in the operating room, there was no resource to learn about it. And so I ended up recording videos to both memorialize what I learned in the operating room and to share with my incoming fellows because I got tired of saying the same thing over and over again. 
And so one thing led to another, those videos that I had turned into a, a YouTube channel, which turned into kind of a, a many kind of side hustles, if you will, in terms of consulting, coaching, speaking, grand rounds, a lot of it on the academics and surgical education side of things. And from that actually spun off this other project, uh, which myself and several other surgeons got involved where we, in fact, built an app around the world of surgical education, and we called it Surge On. There's a lot of significance to the name because it's surgeons, to play on the words, but also surge on, like continue forward and also stay on like you are kind of always on call, if you will. So there's a lot of significance to the word surge on. So it's been been a lot of fun and actually conceptualizing what, what something could look like in terms of surgical education, surgical community, and moving it into the future. So there's a lot uh, that we've learned during this process. Can you talk to entrepreneurs out there who are thinking that they maybe want an app? Why did you think an app was the right way to start? And how did you go about getting the right app built and the cost? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we've messed up a lot all, along the way. And, and we've, you know, thankfully, I, I've, I've had some experience in the, the, uh, the, the kind of the digital design space. One of my things that I do to um, just relieve stress is actually to do digital art and just graphics design. So I've always been interested in just user interface and user experience design on my phone. So just apps that I have on my on my phone. And so when it came to how do we solve the problems that exist currently in disseminating information securely, privately, in an encrypted manner, and also doing so to allow the undiscovered surgeon to become discovered, we found that the best way to do it was not necessarily to use someone else's platform, rented real estate like Facebook or Twitter or YouTube, but actually to build our own property, if you will, to build our own uh, home. And that's when we found that probably the best way to go about having a thing that was custom built for surgeons and by surgeons was to build our own platform, our own house, our own barrel, if you will. And based on kind of my history and what I've previously done in terms of other ventures and uh, other efforts and other production uh, efforts in the past, it became basically a um, an extension of uh, previous experiences and a culmination of many that turned into, let's just build our own app and do it from the ground up with the knowledge that we've gained from how to interact on Twitter, how to interact on Facebook, how to interact on on YouTube and put all the good things, bring it and leave all the bad things behind us. So did you hire an app designer, like one-on-one, and then how are you dealing with issues when the app breaks down? Yeah, yeah. So I'll back up a little bit. Now, the, the group that, uh, uh, so it's myself and two other surgeons that co-founded the, the company. Uh, and actually, they brought me in after they had already hired an app developing service, an app developing company based out of the U.S., and they had their own designers. They had their own UI, UX team. They all had their own uh, coders and everything that worked for them. And unfortunately, they, there wasn't really great synergy and great chemistry between what the app should look like. There wasn't really that, that process by which you can understand what needs to be built and how to build it and how to make it look. And so that process began. And when I, when I came in as one of the other co-founders of the company, which is like six months into the initial development of the app, we we quickly realized that what had been built was not fit for purpose for surgeons. And so we then basically stripped the other one completely apart. We basically shut it down. And I brought on another development team that I had worked with in the past 
uh, effectively, I came over as uh, I redesigned the app. So a lot of the design in the application, the website, the iOS, Android, and uh, uh, web application are by my design in terms of like what it should look like, what the experience should be, because I'm a surgeon and I'm also kind of a, a tech guy. And so a lot of it I designed, but using uh, the expertise of the engineering team that we have on the on the app development side, we've married a lot of these two efforts together. Uh, to build out the current ecosystem that is Surge on. And so it was actually a previous relationship that I had with a development team um, that uh, we ended up joining forces and 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 building uh, what we know today as Surge on. I think I really want people to hear this strong bias and validation. So this is something we talk a lot about with working with professionals, but what it is is that you really had to guide it right? You had the vision, you really understood surgeons and to expect somebody to come in and design an app and not really understand the surgeons as, as deeply as you do, they're bound to fail. So you really have to do a lot of the thinking anytime you're working with professionals, even though you expect you're just going to be able to hand things over. It's not actually the case. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, you would think that a, a, a team of people, a company that that's all they do, they, they're, they're experienced and they specialize just in say, app development can just materialize something something that you have conceptualized in your mind and just make it happen and make it beautiful. But the reality is, if you're not there to actually articulate and be a part of that design process from its infancy to fruition, it will never uh, be exactly as you, as you envision. I mean, whether it's uh, designing an invitation to your wedding or designing a, you know, an invitation to a child's birthday party. It's never going to be the same if you're not a part of the process. And, and so to your point, um, a lot of it has to do with, yes, being nuts and bolts, kind of elbows deep in the process of conceptualizing it, designing it, iterating upon it, knowing you're not going to get it right the first time or the first 10 times. And it's it's a constant iterative and, and um, an evolutionary process, but you've got to do it and you've got to be the one doing it. And you can't subcontract out the design of something as big as something like this, an app. Uh, the whole thing cannot be uh, subcontracted out. So you really got to be involved into every aspect of it so you know what to do and how to give it away and what the expectations are when you do give it away. Mm -hmm. So we recently had Dr. Hala Sabre on. She founded PMG, Physician Moms Group, uh, on Facebook. And, you know, we have Facebook communities too. And I think Facebook is such an easy platform for you to build on because it's already everyone's habit. They're already logging in every day. They already have notifications. It's like one po huge point of friction is already taken away. But what you did is you created an app and got people to have the habit to check it all the time. So how did you do that? Because that's very, very unique. Yeah, no, it really is. And, and I'll tell you, if what Facebook has done is, um, it, it's amazing. I mean, the, the the app that they have built, the beauty of the app, the beauty of the connectivity that they have brought. I, I think if you were to minimize that and downplay it, it would be both ignorant and crazy. So what they've done is fantastic. We've taken a lot of the learnings that they got and a lot of the experiences that, that Facebook has, that Twitter has, and that YouTube has, and taken that. And we've done a lot of reading too. I mean, I think as with anything, you have to you have to realize that you don't know all the answers. You know, you would think that I take people apart for a living and put them back together, mostly success, successfully, that I can figure out how to build an app or you know, figure out how to build a successful ecosystem. And it's not the case at all. And so the friction that it is to move from Facebook over to Surge On is tremendous. That barrier is huge. And there's a big chasm that needs to be crossed, the adoption curve. 
And what we find though, is with anything, um, I think you guys evangelize this the best building wealth is not done overnight. Uh, building an app in a community is not built overnight. It's something that it's a slow, deliberate, consistent, and quiet effort that is what enforces and allows a broader team and a broader uh, community to grow and to be cemented and, and validated. Can you tell us about your community? Uh, it's, you know, it sounds like in a relatively short time, you built up a sizable community. Can you tell us how you did that and, and did the app contribute to being able to build this community so quickly? Yeah. So I think what, yeah, we have around right now around 6,000 verified U.S. surgeons in the platform. And what we ended up doing was we we don't we don't market. We have no marketing arm. Um, we just have, or, it's just organic. And what we have found is having high quality content on the application, not by an entity like Surgeon or by a third-party company, not highly produced, but something that encourages the creator community to create and contribute to the to the ecosystem that is surge on. What we find is that there's a, there's a thirst and a need for the ability to discover uh, operative videos. There's the thirst to want to discover and having in your pocket uh, also high quality webinars and educational content that is not out there. I mean, you have it out there, but you have it disparate and you have it spread out throughout the entire internet. For example, like if I asked you, where do most internal medicine physicians live online? Or where do most, most orthopedic surgeons live online? You, you may not be able to tell me, and I won't be able to tell you, for example, where most colorectal surgeons live, even though I am one. And so what we've done is we basically, our value proposition for the application is that there is zero barrier to entry in terms of if you, if you are a physician. And once you're in, you can freely kind of peruse all the different communities. You can, as a colorectal surgeon, I can walk into a hernia operation. I can walk into a urology operation, or I can walk into a gynecology operating room, for example. And so that right there became an immediate proposition that stuck uh, with many of the community members that we have, because there's high quality content. We've been able to minimize a lot of the problems that exist on public social media, like physician verification is prioritized. Only physicians are in the application. You can discover content easily because there's a library filter feature where you can say, you know what? I want to uh, watch operative video in colorectal surgery and uh, robotics done by robotics in the abdomen in this one specific operative step of this one operation. Mm -hmm. That doesn't exist. And so because of that, the word got spread and people were coming into the app just for the, for the discovery process of videos and learning and the webinars and all these other things that we're doing. And thirdly, the, the, what we also have, in addition to the verification, just to the quality of the content, we also run meetings. So we run full-fledged meetings, like big 1,500, 2,000 surgeon meetings in the application. So this becomes like the central hub for communication, agenda items in the uh, of, 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 of a surgical society meeting. But it also allows you to have a communication with someone on the social side of the platform as well. So all these things that we did, it really just tied the knot and brought everyone into a single ecosystem, a single hub. And that stickiness was what brought the, the, the application to many people's pockets and also uh, in the forefront of many vendors' pockets as well. This week's podcast is sponsored by our course, Zero to Freedom Through Cashflowing Rentals. Zero to Freedom Through Cashflowing Rentals is a 10-week online course focused on helping physicians and high-income earners go from knowing little to nothing about real estate investing to confidently buying the cashflowing rentals that will allow them to achieve financial freedom and work in medicine or their day jobs on their own terms. 
Our course is only open to registration twice a year, so be sure to get on the waitlist at semiretiredmd.com and check out the course details on our course landing page. This episode is brought to you by Dan Peck of Movement Mortgage. If you're an experienced investor, you'll know just how important it is to have a lender who knows how to work with investors. We've been working with Dan and his team for over eight years now, and he's our go-to whenever we need a residential loan for our investment properties. Now, if you're new to investing, you might not know this, but your lender can sometimes be the difference between getting a great deal or completely missing out on it because your lender couldn't close the deal. I did want to point out that Dan can help you not only with your investment properties, but also if you're looking to buy a primary residence or vacation home. So the next time you're looking for a residential lender, be sure to email Dan at srmd at movement.com to get a free consultation and also let him know that you're part of the semi-retired MD community to get an exclusive discount on your next loan. Now back to the episode. How is it you determine what's quality content and how do you police quality content if the community is producing it? Because I think a lot of people have incredible communities, let's say on Facebook, but if everyone's creating content within that area, like how do you know what's good and trustworthy versus what is not? Yeah, it's a very good question because there's going to be a lot of garbage operative video and a lot of garbage content, a lot of garbage comments that get posted. (laughs) And so, yeah, misinformation is a problem on public social media. And so we solved for that by allowing the community of colleagues to be able to vote on the quality of a post. So for example, I can post a video of a of a robotic whatever or a laparoscopic appendectomy or whatever. And I can just, because of my name or because of whoever I am, people will assume it's a good video. For example, I'm not saying this about me, but someone, for example, that has heavy influence in a surgical society is popular on social media can do that. And just because that person has many friends, uh, and lots of influence, they could potentially garner a higher status or more visibility. And people would just assume that's the way to do it. We solve for that by allowing anonymous downvoting and anonymous uh, voting on a scale of one to five. So a Likert scale vote for how high quality that post or how high quality that video is. So it allows the more well-known surgeons that are posting content to be downvoted in terms of quality by lesser known surgeons or vice versa. So it will allows, you know, a surgeon, for example, that's in the back of a conference, uh, in the back of a surgical society who is too embarrassed to stand up in front of 2,000 people in an you know, American College of Surgeons meeting, doesn't want to say you, professor, so-and-so don't know what you're talking about, allows them to do that by voting. And the community now votes anonymously in the application. Similarly, when it comes to voting, we have just the ability to upvote or downvote a comment. And the nice thing about that, that is anonymous, but commenting and posts are not anonymous. So you can't necessarily bash and bully and um, be vulgar or give too uh, too much um, non-productive feedback to someone without at least identifying yourself as such. So to your point, Letty, that's what we basically did was we have enabled the community to be the moderators, not an algorithm, not AI. We let surgeons who are the subject matter experts do that moderation for us. That's so cool. And I can imagine the level of innovation because of it, because people who would have never been able to share what they were doing now can, and then other like other people can see it very quickly and, and can see it's improved from the norm and adopt it. It's really cool. Yeah, thank you. And what we've seen is that the the those surgeons that were relatively 
bashful and embarrassed to, for example, post something on a larger Facebook group or on YouTube or, on, God forbid, on Twitter, for example, they're now more likely to do it in this very secure and encrypted and private community because they know it is as if they're just presenting it to their colleagues in an M&M, a morbidity and mortality conference. And they're there to get genuine feedback. And, and it's truly a safe space. I mean, there's people posting complications, this injury or that injury, this bleeding complication. Like, how would you deal with this? And what we find is probably the most encouraging part is that people are really talking about important things like burnout, like suicidal ideation, the intangible things that we are too embarrassed to discuss in a public forum or that's not really being enabled by discussion by surgical societies or trying to, but they're missing because they don't have this sense of community. We're, we're so blessed and, and, and fortunate to have been able to create that community on Surge On to where people are certainly open to doing that. Now, we, we dove into all these details, which are absolutely amazing, but I want to pull it back a little bit and just say, like, can you talk about some of the challenges you've faced as an entrepreneur for people who are just starting out and, and what you've learned from them that could help others? Yeah, no, that's a fantastic question because, you know, we just dove into this conversation directly into the solution that we had. But I think what we learned is that you cannot dive directly into a solution. You have to figure out what the problems are. And so understanding what problems you're trying to solve is the mechanism by which you solve problems and grow product. And if the problem you're trying to solve, for example, is um, you need to bang a nail into a piece of wood, a hammer is, is a solution. But also, I mean, you can use your iPhone, you could use a foot, uh, you can use a shoe. I mean, there's many solutions to that one problem. And so what we did is we found that there was this beautiful thing called surgical social media that existed. Almost 90% of all healthcare providers are on social media to a certain extent. But with that came a lot of problems. And these problems can be thematically categorized. Privacy, encryption, discoverability, the, the fact that you can't pull that content back out. What we learned along the way is if you do not solve explicit problems, you're doomed to fail. In other words, if I have a problem I'm trying to solve and I just say, you know what, I'm going to bang that uh, nail in with a shoe, it's probably not going to survive uh, You know, the, the product cycle, if you will. So I, I think the challenges that we faced early on was not finding a big enough problem to solve and not vetting the fact that there was a market to, to, to accept this solution that we're coming up with. So I'll give you an example. When the app first launched, um, our minimally viable product, it was all around the product. It was all around surgical products like instruments, sutures, and needle drivers, and, and robots, and whatever else. There wasn't a big enough problem to solve. There wasn't a big enough market to want to actually, quote unquote, buy that. But what we found is once you did the research, and you know, we faced a massive adoption challenge, and that big friction wasn't that, that, that point where people didn't want to move from Facebook over to Surgeon wasn't great enough solved by our older version of Surgeon. So once we said you must solve a larger problem by talking to the talking to your user base, that's when we actually began to solve for this um, broader problems. So the biggest challenges we faced were convincing the user base that this is something that they needed. Convincing people that this is a big enough problem to solve, convincing industry that this is something we want to solve with them, um, and then also making sure that we didn't run out of financial runway along the way, which happened, you know, it happens and it still happens all the time, for example. And we talk about that financial runway because, uh, you know, community is great, but if you can't monetize it in some way, 
uh, you're not going to survive. So uh, can you tell us about uh, how you're monetizing some of the opportunities you're looking at in the future? Yeah, yeah, sure. So, um, you know, we have three main verticals uh, in the company. One of them is uh, we sell education. We don't sell surgeons. We sell education. And, uh, and the way we do that is through unrestricted educational grants, much like a surgical society or medical society, for example, will have sponsors for a large meeting that they host. We too have sponsors that help us fund the servers and help fund development by sponsoring educational webinars that we do. Um, so that's one main vertical that we've used to monetize. The second one are, um, is the meetings that I mentioned. Uh, we do a lot of meetings in the application. Uh, American Society of this, or the Colorado Society of that, or the robotics, whatever. And so these big meetings are also a nice vertical uh, that we're able to, to capitalize and monetize now, because we now sell access to a, a really nice um, a holistic platform that allows uh, surgical societies to host their meetings that exist in perpetuity in the, in the application. And then the third vertical that we have is we um, sell subscriptions to uh, some industry partners. And we don't sell subscriptions to, like, we don't disclose information, any information about surgeons at all, but we allow vendors to have access to the platform in a read-only manner. They cannot interact, they cannot post, they cannot upvote, downvote, comment, they can't do anything, but they can have read-only access. So we sell subscription access to surgeons on that. So that is the, man the way in which we monetize today. There's a lot more stuff that we have in the pipeline that I'm really excited to continue in the development process on. Yeah, so that leads us to the next question. What, where do you see all of this going in the next five to 10 years? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think, um, you know, when you start thinking through where we are today and where we, where we were and where we potentially are going, I think the sky is truly the limit. I mean, we have no intent of um, selling, for example. We have no acquisitions, certainly not on our agenda at least not for now. Um, you know, I think what we love about surgeon and what most people love about surgeon is the purity that it is and that it is surgeon run, surgeon led for surgeons. And so where we see ourselves in five years is we want to be the definitive hub for surgical collaboration and information. So you think of, you want something to do with surgery, you reach in your pocket, you have a whole community that's encrypted, private, and just for you right in your pocket. It's collated and, and, and curated just for the people just like you. Uh, you want to talk about personal finance with your colleagues? There it is. You want to talk about how do you deal with complications? Right there. You want to figure out how to do that operation? You want to attend a course, attend a conference? There it is right there. And so we want to be that definitive hub internationally, uh, credible and internationally uh, known as well. That's where we hope to be in five years. Well, you're doing incredible work. I'm curious, uh, did you always think you're going to become an entrepreneur? No, man, not at all. <laughs> in fact, uh, uh, as you know, mentioned it earlier, I hate business. I hated it. I, I remember telling a buddy of mine, uh, he, who was actually very entrepreneurial, uh, when I was in private practice, he's like, oh, dude, you need to do this and that and hire this person. I said, don't, don't talk to me about money. Don't talk to me about anything. I just want to work, take care of patients all day. That's all I want to do. So I had a significant aversion to business, to finance, to spreadsheets, to numbers, uh, to administrators, I couldn't stand them. Didn't want to be one, didn't want to be a businessman, didn't want anything to do with it. And then I found that, leading to your question earlier, being hands-off and allowing people to do stuff for you, it's a setup for failure because no one's going to do it as well as you can, or at least can't envision or execute your vision of something as well as you can. So in my private practice, that's when I became far more involved in the finance, in the strategy, in the execution, in the tactics 
of marketing, of um, uh, business development, of expansion and hiring and firing and recruitment. And that really lit a fire in me to get more education, to figure out how to read a P&L, what accrual taxation means, what all the different tax brackets and all these kind of things. And how do you build wealth and how do you build influence and how do you build finance? How do you deal with leadership? So all these things kind of came out of that desire. And one thing led to another, led to another, led to another. And and uh, I started doing a lot of consulting work. And then once I noticed how much I was getting held back in taxes, many other fires are lit to make sure I could keep as much of that to my business and to myself as possible. And um, and so that lit the whole other thing in terms of uh, learning more about what entrepreneurship actually was. And uh, that, again, just really was an onion that I kept peeling back. And 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 it's something that I, I, I have... I've, Really, I, I almost desperately want to keep learning more about. Amazing. Love hearing your journey and excited to see where this is all going. So now we're kind of at the segment where uh, we ask uh, two questions to all of our guests. And the first one is, what is your definition of wealthy? You know, I saw this and um, I can see the variability in, the, in the, probably the answers that you get. I think for me, a lot of it has to do with um, freedom and flexibility. And security too. So definitely I'd say freedom and security, freedom to do what I want to do when I want to do it and knowing that I'm financially secure in that decision. And I think it's a station uh, of life. And so it doesn't mean you have to have this dollar amount net worth. And I don't think it means you have to have this amount of money coming in uh, per month passively or actively. I think it just means that I'm able to do what I want to do whenever I want to do it. And I don't necessarily feel like I'm hindered by a dollar figure. And so I think that right there is a definition of wealthy. Awesome. What is one mindset, habit, or strategy that separates someone who is wealthy versus someone who is not? Without any hesitation, a growth mindset. Absolutely a growth mindset. Actually, I, I give this, uh, I've given this grand rounds lecture a few times on growth mindset and the necessity of a growth mindset for surgeons. Mm. And a lot of that has to do with you're not done. So today I am the worst I will ever be of being a surgeon. So long as I have a growth mindset, I'll continue to grow. And we always say that um, you know, people that adopt a new modality like robotic surgery or laparoscopic surgery or, or whatever, you are destined to fail if you don't have a growth mindset to know that whatever I did today, I can always iterate and get better with the next operation or the next patient or the next venture or whatever it is. And so I have no doubt that that one single mindset is a growth mindset to know that I am not the finished product today. Surgeon is not this finished product today. Surgeon will not be my final adventure. Surgery will not be my final adventure. There are many, many, many other things for me to get to that point in which I can call myself wealthy, where I'm free, and I also have security as well. Um, I don't know if you've read Matthew McConaughey's biography yet, um, but it's very interesting. I'm partway through it and on Audible, and he he actually he tells you it. So it's got his, you know, accent and all his sayings. It's very funny. But he says his hero is him in 10 years and in 20 years, right? Because that's that growth mindset. He's going to be such a different individual. And then when he gets to that point, his hero is 10 years down the line because he's always growing. Now, tell tell maybe some of the listeners, if they're interested in learning more about the growth mindset, where you would suggest going to learn more about it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I think there's many books. I mean, I went to the, um, you know, to the original Carol Dweck. I mean, I, re I read all of her original manuscripts. I mean, she's made a lifetime out of uh, out of this uh, process. I think also, um, you know, it's it's interesting 
to hear of your uh, affinity to um so your affinity to Tony Robbins because like that really turned me on also to a different mindset of like it's all in your mind you have to put yourself in an abundance like not just can I do this just how do I get to that point like this is what I want what do I need to do to get to that point so I think there's a lot of literature, a lot of books, and a lot of uh, um, um, TED talks and motivational speakers out there that can get you into that right uh, that right frame of mind uh, to, in fact, get to that point. And from a surgical perspective, one of the probably the most impactful um, authors is Erickson uh, with two C's. Erickson talked a lot about the growth mindset uh, in uh, in how it relates to acquisition of dexterity, acquisition of surgical skills, all of that, all of it. Is translatable into every aspect of our life, whether it's parenting, whether it's being a husband, being a wife, being an entrepreneur, being in real estate, uh, exercising, athleticism, I mean, whatever it is, all of it has to do and it comes down uh, to a growth mindset. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it's what we're teaching our kids and it's actually one of the core values of our company too. And nice. it's how we hire all our employees. We want to make sure they have a growth mindset when they come awesome. in. So no, that's very great cool. to hear. So for people who want to find out more about how they can get a hold of you, kind of follow up, where should they be looking? Yeah, so I'm on all the socials, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, um, Surgeon at, at Mark Solomon. Um, in terms of Surgeon stuff, you can find information about Surgeon at surgeon.app. So Surgeon, just spell like surgeon.app. And um, it'll take you to the um, informational website and you download the app as well from that as well. And, 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 and so I'm all over it and YouTube as well. At Mark Solomon. Thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. The Doctors Building Wealth podcast provides information only and does not provide any financial, legal, tax, medical, or psychological services or advice. You are responsible for your own financial, physical, mental, and emotional well-being, decisions, choices, actions, and results. You should contact a professional if you have any specific questions about your unique situation.